I'm going to read for us, pray, and then let's go ahead and unpack God's Word. Starting in verse 15. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed Him, and He healed them all, and ordered them not to make Him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Let's pray. Father, we do ask for your comfort this morning. We do ask that the Spirit would convict us of any sin that could possibly be hidden in our hearts. Would your word act as a light for us to see you more clearly? We ask that if there is someone or people in here who do not know you and have not experienced the magnificent grace that you have given through your Son, Jesus, that today would be the day. Use this time to stir our affections to love you more. To be more obedient to your commandments and law. We ask this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Wouldn't it be a terrible state, or what a terrible state this world would be in if it was up to us to choose our own Savior? And yet, this world seems to be in a pretty terrible state. It could only mean one thing. We do look to choose our own saviors. And typically what happens is we choose our saviors based on people who may fix our momentary problems. So we hitch ourselves to them and we declare they will lead us to freedom. Our saviors here on earth will liberate us from the cruel tyranny we face and are chained to. How quickly we look to influencers, politicians, athletes, pastors, celebrities, artists, musicians, the great thought leaders and teachers of our day to be our 
saviors. I'll follow this person, we say, because they display some type of wisdom. I can trust their policies. Because with those policies and that wisdom, all of my problems will fade. They'll go up like smoke. And I will finally live that blissful life I've been promised. So what makes following these earthly saviors, what makes it worth it? Well, some people may say they are attractive. Others may say, well, this person or that person is willing to do what willing to do whatever it takes to get the job done. AKA they're a steamroller. They just they just roll over anybody that gets in their way. Maybe what we say is, well, they just really tell it like it is. That person never backs down from the competition. They aren't afraid to get their hands dirty. They know the secret of creating relationships with influential people. In other words, they know how to connect. These people, I want to follow them because they know how to hustle. Well, this would be nice and dandy to follow these type of saviors, but finite people make terrible saviors. Finite people make terrible saviors because finite people at the core are sinful people. Sin. Sin that stains us all. Sin that leaves people hungry like scavengers looking for ways to serve their self-appetites. Sin that even when intention is as pure as possible, still have selfish motives leached on. It's normally these people that we look to as our saviors. Could this be why our world is in such despair? Because of putting our hope in finite sinful saviors? Praise God that He has already chosen a Savior for us. God has chosen His beloved to serve us as our Savior. And this is a Savior who will not lead us despair to despair, but to everlasting joy. This morning we will see Jesus depart from the Pharisees who are plotting to kill Him. And as Jesus leaves, the masses follow Him. And as they follow Him, He heals them all. And as He heals them all and sends them on their way, He tells them something that I don't know about you that is a bit strange to me. As Jesus heals them and sends them away, He tells them, do not say anything. 
That's a strange thing for somebody who has come to save people to say. Is it not? Are we not told to make Jesus' name famous? To tell everybody that we can about Jesus? And yet Jesus here is telling people to go and to not say anything. You see, Matthew this morning is taking the opportunity to show his readers how God is, or how Jesus is, God's chosen servant. And what Matthew does is through Isaiah 42 shows us. He shows us who is the chosen servant and how the chosen servant serves. And so this morning, what we will see is that Jesus Christ is God's chosen servant. And we're going to see this in two ways this morning. We'll see this in verses 15 through 16, that Jesus serves. And then we'll see this in point two in verses 17 through 21, that Jesus is God's chosen servant. So let's look to our first point this morning in verses 15 and 16. We see Jesus, the servant, in action. Jesus, he's not an aloof person. Jesus is not like, you know, the, the middle-aged man that goes up to a woman and asks her if she's pregnant. Jesus is a self-aware person of what is going on around him. Jesus is God in the flesh that we saw last week. And because of that, Jesus, we could say, is omniscient. Jesus is all-knowing. Jesus, our passage tells us, was aware that the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. As the Pharisees plotted their evil plot to kill Jesus, what do we see Jesus do? Jesus withdraws from them. Jesus leaves their company and goes off into another place. Why doesn't Jesus stay to fight with them? Why doesn't Jesus reason and argue and show them in the Scriptures how they are complete buffoons? Because they have hardened and set their hearts against the King. They have stabbed their flag in the ground declaring their allegiance to this world rather to the Messiah. We see that when hostility increases, Jesus withdraws. Jesus retreats. He does this because in other places we're told his time had not yet come to be sacrificed. So what Jesus does is he takes the boiling pot of water off of the stove to let it calm down. And he withdraws. What we really see going on here is, is Jesus being wise as a serpent. We see him living out maybe one of the most confusing Proverbs that we could read in Proverbs. And Proverbs tell us that we should answer a fool according to his folly, just in case if he thinks he's wise. And we shouldn't answer a fool according to his folly in case he thinks he's wise. Apply that one to your life. 
And yet we see Jesus living out this practical wisdom of knowing when to answer a fool according to his folly and when not to answer a fool according to his folly. We see as hostility increases, Jesus is as wise as a serpent and withdraws. You may be one that is prone to argue and to reason. One to fight for the sake of advancing the gospel. And yet, would I just encourage you to take the model that Jesus displays here. To know when it is to be wise as a serpent and to withdraw. You don't have to have the last word. You aren't obligated to comment on any Facebook post. At times, it is more wise to leave as hostility increases. And as Jesus withdraws, we see that many follow Him. And He healed them all. So while the Pharisees are up to no good, plotting to kill Jesus, Jesus is out serving the people. As he leaves the synagogue, the people follow him and he serves them. He continues to do what is good. He continues to serve the people who are in need. And look here, Jesus heals some of them Many of them, most of them, our passage tells us that Jesus heals all of them. He heals all of the people. There is not one person that did not come to Jesus that did not receive healing from Jesus. There is not one person that came to Jesus that left an unsatisfied person. And this is great news. This is wonderful news that Jesus is the great physician. That Jesus is able to heal all. There is not one sickness or ailment that Jesus could not heal. There is not one leper that did not leave healed. There is not one lame person that did not leave walking or seeing or hearing. There is not one person that did not have a cold or fever or who was demon-possessed that did not leave healed. All were healed. Friends, this points us to the greater sickness that we need healing from. This points us to our sin, that we are blemished, that we are sick. Our sin has poisoned our souls. Sin has killed us. Sin has separated us from God. Sin has condemned us to God's just judgment. And Jesus comes with the antidote. Jesus comes with the healing. By His wounds, we are healed. Jesus' blood, His sacrifice saves us. It heals us. He took our sin. He bore the wrath of God that we deserved so that when we trust in Him, we can experience complete healing from our sin. 
He takes all of our sickness and gives us all of His health. He takes all of our sin and gives us His righteousness. And for those who trust in Him can receive the healing we need. We receive the mercy and grace that that He has come to give us. And if you have not trusted in Christ and received this healing, why wait? If you were sick with a terminal illness, would you not, if there was somebody that had the antidote, would you not go to receive that? This is us. Turn to Him as your Savior, to the One who brings complete and lasting healing to your soul. As all the people are healed and start to leave, Jesus orders them. Look, He orders them. This wasn't a suggestion by Jesus. This wasn't like a, hey guys, if you think about it, just don't really say anything. Jesus orders them to not make Him known. And this is not an uncommon thing for Jesus to do. His time had not yet come. And He didn't want word to get out that He was healing and performing miracles. He didn't want the hostility to continue to increase. And so what Jesus does is He serves the people quietly. He serves the people humbly. We see that Jesus is the servant. He is the the chosen one of God because He serves not in a showy, flashy way, but quietly and meekly. But this seems different than what we've been told, isn't it? We've been told for generations, and rightfully so, to go out and make the name of Jesus as famous as possible, to evangelize to the nations. We should do that. That is something we should do. So then why is Jesus here ordering the people not to make Him known? Why is He ordering the people to zip the lip? To shut it? To button it up, lock it, and throw away the key? Well, what Matthew is going to help us out with is he's going to show us that it was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Oh, what we're about to see next is incredible. So let's look at the second point in verses 17 through 21 and see just how God's chosen servant serves. Matthew shows us how Jesus is fulfilling verses 15 through 16 by quoting Isaiah 42, specifically verses 1 through 3. First, he shows us who God's chosen servant is. Jesus is the Father's servant whom he has chosen. Jesus is the chosen servant of the Father. Jesus is the only begotten Son. John the Baptist has testified to this. This is the the Lamb of God whom sandals I am unworthy to tie. Jesus is 
the Word made flesh, who dwelt with the Father and Spirit in perfect harmony before all things were created. Jesus is a part of the Godhead that there are three persons in one God who dwelt among each other perfect, in perfect harmony before anything was created. Jesus is the Father's beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. This is God's delight in His Son. Jesus is God's delightful Son. He is the beloved Son. And this is something that we've seen before already in Matthew as Jesus is baptized and John dunks him way under the water and lifts him up and the clouds part and and the dove descends and God says, this is my Son with whom I'm well pleased. Jesus is the beloved Son. We'll see in a few more chapters as Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration and Peter makes a, a bonehead comment about making tents God reminds the disciples that are with Jesus, this is my Son. This is my Son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to Him. He is the Beloved. Jesus, His identity, at the very core of who He is, was wrapped up in the Father's Beloved Son. Did you know That upon your adoption, the Father looks at you in Christ as His beloved son, His beloved daughter. If you're here this morning and you are feeling the condemnation and the guilt of sin, remind yourself that if you are in Christ, you are God's beloved because of Christ. Jesus is the chosen servant because the Father will put His Spirit upon Him. And we have seen this through the undeniable miracles that we have read and that we have looked at as Jesus has casted out demons. Jesus has healed those who are sick. Jesus has raised dead people to life. Jesus is the chosen servant because He will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Does Jesus not tell us to come to Him? Come to Me, Jesus says, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give rest for your souls. Jesus is the one who proclaims justice to the Gentiles. Jesus is the promised offspring of Abraham. As God told Abraham that through your offspring, Abraham, there would be a blessing to the nations. Jesus is this blessing to the nations. Matthew is quoting Isaiah for us to show his readers that the long-awaited Messiah, the promised one who was coming to set things right and to bring justice to the Gentiles, is Jesus. It's Jesus. It's the offspring of David who would establish a forever eternal kingdom. However, the people were looking for a certain type of king which Jesus did not fit the bill. 
Just like oftentimes we look for a certain type of king or savior that does not fit the bill. The Israelites were looking for a showy, political, military movement-driven king. Somebody impressive. Somebody who would steamroll over the competition and say it how it is. Who would stand out and satisfy their momentary needs. And for this very reason, this is why Matthew is quoting Isaiah. To show his readers, Jesus is the chosen servant. But not only to show his readers that Jesus is the chosen servant, but to show them how the chosen servant has come to serve. And so, what does the rest of this quote in Isaiah look like? He shows us how Jesus fulfills this. As we saw in verses 15 and 16, to not, to, to, he tells the people, don't make me known. And we see that this is what Isaiah was told. That he will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. So we know Jesus is the servant, the beloved servant, by how he serves. Now this doesn't mean that Jesus did not proclaim justice to the Gentiles. This doesn't mean that he didn't go to the synagogues and he didn't teach about the kingdom of God. What this means is that Jesus has not come in a showy manner, looking for the spotlight. He has not come to draw attention to himself, but to the Father. He hasn't come to steamroll anyone. Jesus is the gentle and lowly Messiah who the sick, the downcast, the lame, the outcast, the drunkards, the prostitutes, An approach. Jesus is not a standoffish type of king. He doesn't sit from his throne and wave. He isn't afraid to get his hands dirty all right. He welcomes the least, those on the fringe of society, those who are downcast. And when He deals with them, He deals with them in the most compassionate manner. To those who are tender-hearted, 
to those who are at their wit's end thinking, I can't keep going. To those who are too embarrassed of their past. Thinking to themselves, there is nothing left. No one to turn to. The gentle Savior who comes to those who are fragile. Who are broken over their sin and the sin that gets committed against them. He is gentle. But how? A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not quench. Let's look at the woman at the well. As Jesus approaches her, here is this broken or this bruised reed. A woman who was too embarrassed to be around her own community. As Jesus approaches this bruised reed, do we see Jesus break her? No, we see Jesus tenderly approach her, drawing out her sin gently and compassionately, showing her where to find something greater than the sin that has defined her for so long. The sin that has dragged her down. He does not break the woman at the well. What about Peter? As Peter has denied Christ three times and he is in front of Christ weeping because he has denied Him three times and Jesus says, do you love me? This smoldering wick of Peter that is just barely flashing. Do we see Jesus confront him and say, what the heck, man? What was going on? No, we don't see Jesus quench his wick. Instead, we see Jesus restore this smoldering wick. We see him comfort this smoldering wick, all the while continuing to draw out Peter's heart. He does not break a bruised reed and he will not quench a smoldering wick. As you know, even at this very moment with you, He will not break you. Our King, Jesus, will not break you. He will not quench your smoldering wick. Jesus is the suffering servant who is able to sympathize with me and you. And He will continue to do so until He brings justice to victory. As we wait for Jesus to come back, we do not wait as people who do not have hope. We wait for our long-anticipated conquering Savior who will one day wipe away every tear, turn every wrong around. He will come as our conquering warrior that will bring justice to victory. And because of that, we can have hope. Our hope is not in vain. We do not hope without a purpose. What a great Savior. What a great Savior Jesus is. But how many times do we see in the Old Testament, the Israelites trade in God to worship something else. And how many times are 
our hearts so quick and prone to trade in the Creator, to worship the creation. Maybe you've been putting your hope lately in a finite Savior. Hear me say this as loud and clear as possible. They will let you down and disappoint you. Not only that, but they will not save you from eternal destruction. They will use you for their own selfish gain and as soon as you have nothing to offer them, they will cut you off. But Christ loves you. He loves you at your lowest. He knows you better than you know yourself. He loves you at your worst. He loved you enough to die for you while yet you were still His enemy. Trust Jesus as your Savior. Trust Jesus as your Savior and don't look back at all. Don't even look in the rearview mirror. Just keep moving forward. Keep Him as your Savior. And when you notice that finite, sinful, earthly saviors are starting to creep into your heart, confess them right away and repent. Bring them to light. Confess immediately and make them known. Look, maybe you're starting to feel a spirit of conviction right now that this person or this thing has been the thing that I've been trusting in as my Savior. The thing that I've been worshiping. If you want to come and talk with me or one of the people in this church, bring that to the light. Bring it to the light today and don't wait. Do it right away. We can pray. So before we leave, before I finish this message, it would be a tragedy if I didn't tell you to go and make this suffering Savior, this servant Savior, this great King known. Don't sit on this great news that there is a Savior that is perfect in every way and will love you at your lowest, that He is the, the King of kings, the Creator of the heavens and the earth, and yet He has come to serve by dying for our sins. Jesus has not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus has come to seek and save the lost. And he does it by not breaking a bruised reed or quenching a smoldering wick. So let's go. Let's go and make this wonderful king, this wonderful servant known. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for choosing Jesus as our Savior, we thank you for choosing Jesus to be the servant to save us from our sins because we couldn't do that. Others can't do that. And so we thank you that Jesus can, he has, and one day he's going to come back for us. We pray this in our servant king's name. Amen. Amen.